Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. You believe that you deserve it, right? You have no worth. You have no value. It's been whittled away. And that's what the abuse process does, is it takes away any kind of worth that you have, um, any kind of confidence that you have about who you are. That is the voice of Linda Kohler, now a therapist, but who experienced the trauma of abuse at all levels from childhood through multiple marriages and the workplace. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And he's here to offer encouragement and hope to you if you might be going through pain and suffering yourself. Pastor Paul is no stranger to suffering, losing his first wife to cancer and then experiencing the tragic homicide of his son Taylor in recent years. And now, the conversation with Pastor Paul and Linda Kohler on Life Support. So glad to have you with us on Life Support and we've got a a great guest with us today that is going to cover a whole gamut of issues, including her own story, which is compelling. It's a story of redemption, but it's also a story that shines the light on a lot of darkness. And I would say to you right now that uh, some of the things we're going to talk about are difficult, but they may be exactly what you're experiencing or others that you walk alongside of are experiencing. And so I just pray today that God would shine a light and expose darkness and help us learn tools about how to deal with it. So Linda Kohler is here. Hi, Linda. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she has quite a story of her own. And so she's come here with an incredibly transparent heart and a story that glorifies Christ. And, you know, I guess the thing that caught my eye as I read through um, some of the elements of your story is that you've been married four times. And that's not I guess in the church world, that probably raises some eyebrows. So to tell say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that. Yeah. So um, you know, I was married the first time. Um, all of my marriages have had elements of just extreme dysfunction, and it's uh, difficult to talk about. But the first time I was married, I was pretty young and um, married to a. I was Catholic, um, grew up Catholic, and uh, married to a guy who just, we dated for five years um, before that, and when we got married, it was like a a light bulb went off about his behavior just became very inconsistent with anything I'd recognized, so very controlling, um, wanted me to kind of quit my job, stay home, make babies, not work. That's not what I wanted for my life, and um, started following me and doing all sorts of strange things. So I ended that marriage pretty quickly. And my second marriage was more of a 20-some-year 20, relationship um, marriage, um, and that marriage was uh, very defining for me. So having come out of a home that was abusive, um, where I witnessed and had abuse actually happen to me, of pretty much every variety in in my family of origin, um, the behaviors in that marriage were very familiar to me. So um, 
the things that happened in that marriage um, and why I stayed so long was, A, I, I was, you know, 20 years old and didn't want to have two divorces behind me. And so I said, well, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. You cannot get divorced. You have to stay married. My parents had a very bad marriage, um, lots of abuse between them, and never did they talk about divorce. So it was modeled to me that you stay once you're married. So my marriage to my second husband included, um, you know, started out, um, you know, very loving, very sort of traditional, and quickly moved into something that was very dark. Tell me about that. What does darkness look like? And you're talking about a marriage where it would be in the church kind of marriage, right? Yes. Not out there on the fringes. Yeah, not on the fringes. Uh, so this marriage was, um, I was very quickly introduced to pornography after we got married. And it was, um, hey, let's just do porn together as a way to enhance our sexual experience. Um and that felt very uncomfortable to me. And so when I started saying no, um, the behavior on my part, you know, my part just exited and said, I'm not going to do that with you anymore. That that doesn't feel right. It feels like you're cheating on me, basically, with someone else. And he, um, at that point, chose to covertly turn that into uh, something that he did behind my back. And so... Um, Lots of things happened. I mean, we had magazines at the time because that was a long time ago, right? So, you know, magazines that were hidden all over the house, that were hidden in his car, you know, things like that. And quickly over time, that emerged into a full-blown sexual addiction um, where he escalated his behavior and all of a sudden, you know, magazines weren't enough. Um, it became... Um, it became more interesting to um, make 1-800 calls and talk to people, you know, that way, talk to, you know, buy time with, with people that could um, provide that kind of stimulant to him. Um, you know, this went on for several years. Um, I, we were in a cycle of, here, you know, me catching him, him confessing because he was caught, me saying, you've got to do something about this. This isn't okay with me anymore. And ultimately, it got to a point where he agreed to enter inpatient um, therapy at Golden Valley Healthcare Center at the time. Long time ago, it's not there anymore, um, but under a different name. And went into treatment for sexual addiction, which I was a part of as a spouse, and um, was one of the people that didn't make it through the program. So he checked all the boxes, but it, nothing really changed his heart. And so, you know, being young, I was very excited. Yay, yay, yay. He's, he's all better. And um, the cycle started repeating again and got to a point where, um, you know, he was going to counseling, you know, Christian counseling, um, went to uh, some very, some excellent Christian counselors in the Twin Cities, Mark Laser, who recently passed away, but mm. uh, is kind of the father of Christian sexual addiction therapy. So had a great experience there, but still did not have a heart change. Um, and by this time, I was probably around 28 years old or so and decided, well, let's have babies because that'll fix him. I'll just have babies and I have to have something to do because my husband doesn't want me. So what a great idea, mm -hmm. right? So um, couldn't get pregnant, had really some terrible infertility experiences, had some problems on his side. And so ended up buying sperm and found out through that process, that's a little bit graphic, but found out through that process that his, his sperm would not move inside my body, but donor sperm actually would. Hmm. And so in hindsight, I believe that's God's way of, that was God's way of saying, 
we're not going to pass the genetics of this on to you. And he was protecting me in that moment. Um, so I lost my first baby, um, which was very painful. I had nobody there um, with me. He certainly was not a source of comfort. Um, and finally gave birth to, to two, and he was really never a part of their lives or the process. And he had an opportunity to move to France, uh, to Paris, for work um, when the kids were very, very little. I mean, under four, four or five years old was my oldest. And so we moved to France. I quit my career. Um, my career had been progressing pretty rapidly at the time I was, um, I was a managing director um, at a very large company. And for being 28 years old, you know, I had my MBA. Um, I was quickly kind of rising. So I quit my career and I said, let's go to France. Let's move to Paris. It'll change my marriage, save our, save our marriage. Everything will be better. The, the babies didn't work, but I'm sure this will work. So we moved to, moved to Paris, and um, Paris is a land of sexually anything goes, and I didn't know that at the time. So um, he quickly started traveling. I was alone with the kids um, pretty much all the time. Um, rarely saw him. He would come home on the weekends. He would be there to do his laundry um, or have me do his laundry, and then he'd quickly leave and, and go away. Um, and this pattern went on and on and on. And four years after living in Paris, I said, it's time for me to come home. Um, I don't want to be stuck here any longer with no job. I was isolated. I, I, I didn't have a community. I had stopped going to any kind of a church um, and had actually started uh, just before we left, started BSF at a um, American church in the middle of Paris and just kind of got intrigued by that because I started learning about a different God than I grew up with, being Catholic, and had gone to Catholic school. So, I mean, I really got kind of yeah. a different— You were inundated. I was mm -hmm. totally kind of immersed in, in that mm -hmm. belief system. And so the whole time I, I was in Paris and living with this my husband when he was there, I never stopped clinging to my rosary at night, you know, just kind of saying prayers um, in a one-off and a one-on. And— um, kind of a way, but, but never really had a relationship, you know, sort of just, and sort and, and over time became kind of angry at, at God for the circumstances. So I blamed God for what was going on in my life. And, um, but BSF kind of changed that, started chipping away just a little bit at that. And I got really curious about, well, this is a really interesting God. I mean, hmm, didn't know that before. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that happened really within, I think, four months of moving back to the United States. And so we moved back, landed really in, in just before 9-11. And on 9-11, I went to uh, my very first Bible study. And um, it was just an incredible study about the person of Jesus Christ. And um, within, I would say, 30 days of that, many things happened um, in my life. Number one, God provided a job um, again, at a very big company with um, making more money than I had ever thought possible, um, provided, you know, me a way to say there's a possibility here that I might be okay on my own, but still did not give myself the permission to do that. Um, shortly, again, within that 30 days, um, I was inundated with uh, what I believe are revelations from the Lord because I accepted Christ the day that I went to my Bible study on 9-11-2001. And, um, and so the revelations included just many women from all over the world, United States, United Kingdom, Europe, you know, Asia, I mean, you name it. There were women that were 
coming out of the woodwork through phone calls that I received, emails that came in um, that were, and he was out of town when all of this happened. It happened within the span of really about a week. And uh, the kids had actually discovered some kind of a stash of material that he had kept where when a ping pong ball had actually gone up um, mm-hmm. above cabinets in our basement and they were playing ping pong. So they brought to me after they read um, many letters from many women um, a lot of pornographic material, um, very dark types of pornography, and just a ton of evidence that not only was he still addicted to pornography, which he had always been addicted to, but he had escalated into um, serial affairs, um, prostitution, um, that kind of a thing. So I called my pastor um, at my church and you know, I'm, here I am, 30 days, a, a believer, and I said, you know, this is going on, and I, I don't know what to do, and he's, he referred me to a Christian therapist that was affiliated with that church, and I sat with that Christian therapist and was told that I needed to make make better meals, have better sex, understand how to, you know, meet the needs of my husband, that I was doing something wrong, that it was... So blame shifted totally on on you. Yeah, all of it. And you all along, it sounds like, had already been feeling that because you kept, you you used phrases like, if I could just do this, if I could just do this, and now here's the therapist confirming the whole thing. Exactly. What did that feel like? We'll continue this conversation with therapist and trauma survivor Linda Kohler in a moment. I'm Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we've just recently launched a trauma site ourselves intended as tools and resources for the church to equip leaders to come alongside those who are going through pain and suffering. If you'd like to learn more, log on to lifesupportresources.org, lifesupportresources.org. Org. And now, back to our conversation with Pastor Paul. You use yeah. phrases like, "I if I could just do this, if yeah. I could just do this, yeah. and now here's the therapist yeah. confirming the whole thing. Exactly. What did that feel like? Yeah, it was horrible. I mm-hmm. mean, I felt, I felt absolutely, I mean, I had suicidal thoughts. I, 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 I thought, why, why am I living? I mean, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I really felt like I was at my wit's end, and I probably saw her for I would say a good six months to a year, if I re- if I remember. And one of my dreams at the time was I want to be a therapist. Like I want to do this, and um, I've always wanted to be a therapist, but never had the ability to do that because I didn't have the support to go to school. But um, and my businesses that I worked for would only pay for business degrees. But anyway, I digress. Um, and so I, after about a year of trying, 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 trying more things, more things, more things. Um, you know, my my husband at the time um, just wasn't changing, and he continued to be gone, continued to, to travel, and the acting out continued. And so, I actually met with met with my pastor, and um, you know, my pastor was was pretty decent about it at the time. He enlightened me about the Word of God and said, you know, you don't need to take this. I mean, you have you have a right to. Um, you know, you have a right to do something else about this. And so um, it's still, from that point on, it took me probably four or five years to actually make the decision to divorce. So, um, but what I find as a, um, yeah, what I what I found was that it, it, it was, it was um, fairly good counsel, biblical counsel, but, but not 
necessarily with the full sort of permission to do it because there was a big incongruence between the therapist that he had sent me to and what he was telling me that continued to, to really keep me stuck. Um, and so, so I finally did, um, pull the trigger. Um, I got divorced. I stopped seeing that therapist. I married, um, on the rebound really within the first 30 days, I decided I was going to date 30 guys in 30 days and I was going to find a Christian husband and I did. So I, um, dated a guy for about three years who presented to me he was an elder of a church. He carried a Bible. He quoted scripture. He had three kids. He told me his wife had an affair. That's why they were divorced. Checked all the boxes. Everything was great. Um, we got married three years later, and um, I ended that marriage after about uh, six months. Um, he moved out, and it took another six months to make the divorce final. But I essentially married the same person all over again. Uh, but this one seemed to be, uh, again, a box checker, right? So he had all the credentials needed to be a faithful Christian husband. And um, turned out that he was still married at the time that we were dating. He didn't, he lied to me about that, was still seeing his ex, his ex-wife, was still very involved with her, um, and also had a thing for massage parlor sex. Um, and I wasn't aware of that. And um, I found out in hindsight that his family knew about it, um, didn't share that with me. His father is a is an elder in a church as well. And um, we had a lot of talks about his character and what should I know about this person? Oh, he's great. You're going to love him. There's nothing, you know, and they still had pictures of the ex-wife all over the house, which was also kind of weird. Um, but nobody ever really told me the truth. And there were plenty of people along the way that I was checking in with, um, but I don't blame them. I blame myself because I did not heal from the um, from the addiction and the abuse that that brought. So in my second marriage, the abuse um, was physical. The abuse was was spiritual. I was made fun of over my beliefs about the Word of God. Um, the abuse was financial. Um, the control over what I made, what he made, all was out of control. Um, the abuse was emotional. Um, I mean, every kind of abuse that you can envision, sexual abuse as well, um, um, happened in that marriage. And abuse and addiction often go together, and most people don't realize that. Um, so I had experienced years. I mean, I have a I have a scar on my lip where I was where I was hit, but a lot of the wounds didn't come from that are visible today. Most of them you know, obviously went away and I healed from those. Um, so it'd be easy for someone that's listening right now to say like, Linda, what were you thinking? Why I, would yeah. you go through that so quickly again? But you just said something that was enlightening, you know, addiction, abuse go together. You mm -hmm. talked about control earlier as before we yes. recorded this. Did you feel at that point that, um, I mean, is this part of the re-victimization process that happens to sexual abuse survivors? Yeah, I think absolutely it's mm -hmm. a part of it where you don't, you believe that you deserve it, mm -hmm. right? You have no worth, you have no value, it's been whittled away, and that's what the abuse process does, is it takes away any kind of worth that you have, um, any kind of confidence that you have about who you are, and it, it, it just robs you of any of that. And here's the thing that's, and I'll let you continue, but... The thing that's scary about your story is elders, Bible-carrying churchmen, yes. 
And um, we're going to do more of these podcasts with you. And at some point I need to get to this question. How do you know as a pastor? How do you know as a fellow elder? Yeah. How can you spot this? Because sure. um, like you said, these people are checking all the right boxes. Right. I think, I think, you know, the thing I would add to that is the church community as well. So, I mean, I was, you know, I had the same advice from the community in, in, in my church as I did from the therapist. You know, it's your fault. You have to be a better wife. You have to stop working. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, so I would add the whole church kind of comes together and doesn't understand this. Um, well, that's terrible, unbiblical counsel. But but anyway, um, so... It is. To, so to, that's that's why you stay, right? You say, right. it's about me, it's about me, yeah. it's about me. There's something right. wrong with me, there's something wrong with me. And you think the quick fix after a divorce is let's just find somebody who's a better Christian. Yeah. Let's find somebody who believes in God. So what happened next? So um, so after I I ended the, the second marriage, I just said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not dating ever again. Um, my kids came to me after that marriage. My kids were exposed to um, many things that I didn't know about until, I mean, there's still things that are coming out. Um, they're 20, 23 and 26 right now, and there are still things coming out about what's either happened to them or what they witnessed that they didn't share with me um, in both marriages, um, the second and the third. And so um, after that, I just said, I'm done, and and I need to, I'm the common denominator here. It's time to stop blaming my husbands, my ex-husbands, it's time to start looking in the mirror and asking God, Lord, what is going on? I mean, I was still a baby Christian at the time. Um, I I knew a little bit, but I didn't know a lot. So I found a very, very good Christian, a biblical counselor, not, not somebody that I think we have a lot of Christian counselors that are not Christian counselors and um, are definitely not biblically aligned and um, saw that person twice a week for five years, immersed myself in a program that really helped rewire my identity away from what other people think about me to who God says that I am, who he promises that I am through him. And um, I was baptized at the end of that process um, through immersion, which was a significant purifying event for me and really a sign that my heart had had shifted and, and completely been changed by the Lord and just been, you know, he's he's indwelling me. And so it was with purity that I accepted Christ at a different level at that point because I understood him at that point in a completely different way than I had before. So through all of that darkness... And all that pain, which I'm sure is still uh, real and it's still there always, but there is redemption redemption. at the end of the road. Yes, and I was redeemed and I was um, shocked at, you know, what happened next. So shortly after that, after I said I'm not dating anymore, one of the... One of the guys that I had dated in the 30 days um, after my 20-some year marriage um, actually... Um, we got in contact in only a way that God could have orchestrated kind of, yeah, it's unexplainable. And he was the only person during the time that I was dating that many people who said, you're not dateable. You have nothing to offer. You're wounded. You need to not date and get help. And he, he walked away. And I had some very strong unchristian words for that. But we had um, we were both different people at that point, and just started becoming friends. And we built our friendship on Jesus Christ um, and on the Bible, and we just talked about the Lord pretty much all the time. And that's 
that friendship became uh, a romance. And three and a half years later, we were married, um, which totally shocked me. And all this, you were dateable then. I was dateable at that yes. time. At that time. But that's after God had done right. his work in me and shifted my heart. That was a very long process for me. And uh, and glory to God for that. That's all the glory amazing, goes to God. That's an amazing story. We're going to have you back, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that's fed now into your professional life. And you are a walking uh, base of statistics, and so I'm going to uh, poke around that a little bit, and I think we're going to open some eyes about what's really going on in churches. But not the goal isn't to impugn churches. The goal is to help us all understand how to identify, how to biblically deal with these issues that get so easily hidden within communities of Christians. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. That's Linda Kohler. We'll have her back soon. And uh, she is a marriage and family therapist with an amazing story. And you know, Jesus said when he gave the apostles the Great Commission, he didn't stop and say, you're on your own. He said, I will be with you always. And so if you're dealing with an issue that you've heard about, if you're feeling isolated and alone and you feel like there's no place to go and no one to turn to, please remember that Jesus is good for that promise. He is with you. Begin to pray. He will make a pathway for you. And please don't be afraid to ask for help because redemption is possible for you too. Here on Life Support, we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through some of these issues, through suffering and trauma. So I'm so glad that you spent time with us. It's so good to have you. Life Support is made possible by our wonderful partners, Faith Radio. That's at faithradio.com. Five Stone Media, where you can watch a video presentation of this podcast at fivestonemedia.com. And of course, here at Ridgewood Church on our website at myrwc.org slash life support. Love to have you on Twitter as well, at Pastor Paul J is where you can find me. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.